Hello and good evening to all of you out there in Radioland. Thank you for joining us tonight on Gradcast, where we bring Western to the world. This is the official radio and podcast show of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I am your host tonight. My name is Yemin Chen, and joined with me today is my co-host for the very first time on Gradcast, Roger. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Yemin. How are yeah, you doing? I'm great. How do you feel? I'm excited. First yeah. time. Hopefully it's a good one. Awesome. You may have heard Roger a little while ago. He was uh, an interviewee and guest, and uh, that was sort of his initiation into <laughs> the Gradcast committee here, and I'm very happy to have him with me today. And also with me today is our guest tonight. It's uh, Heba Elnaseri. How are you doing? Not bad. How are you? Oh, excellent. So you're a doctoral candidate in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. And I understand you are right at the very end. You're just about to submit your dissertation. That's correct. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. It's been a long road, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Yeah. So... Can you tell us a little bit about what you do um, in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology? What is your research area? Okay, so um, our department is kind of divided into three areas. Um, a portion of the department works on bacteria. Um, that's the microbiology part. Um, and another portion works on um, immunology, so the immune system, um, as well as we have uh, some labs that work on viruses. Um, I am a fifth-year PhD candidate um, working on um, uh, Staph aureus. It's um, a skin uh, bacteria, and I am trying to understand how it can colonize and um, infect a human host. Oh, cool. So, Staph aureus, is this the bacteria uh, responsible for the, the famous staph infection? Correct. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. How did you get into, you know, um, studying this particular bacteria? Um, okay, so in my undergrad, um, I worked um, with my current boss, Dr. Martin McGavin, in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology as a summer student. Um, and I was interested in understanding how can we get infected uh, with a skin commensal. So Staph aureus is a commensal. About 30% of people have it at any given time. Um, so I was interested into then why do we have the staph infection problems that we see um, um, especially in hospital settings. Um, so I started uh, my master's um, with them in the McGavin lab. And uh, from there, uh, I transitioned to PhD. Um, and as you said, I am about to submit my thesis next month. Um, and uh, what I'm trying to understand um, specifically is that um, we have fatty acids or lipid um, fat essentially on our skin um, that is supposed to be antimicrobial. So I am focusing on understanding then how can we still get an infection if you have an antimicrobial on your skin. Okay, cool. So early on, um, you also mentioned, you called uh, Staph aureus a commensal. Yes. Um, can you tell, uh, can you well, tell me, what does that mean? So essentially, it is a bacteria that exists on 
the human body without causing problems. So when I say 30% of the population, they have staph, they have them in their noses without causing a problem, without hurting the human body. However, if they're given the opportunity, staph can also be called as an opportunistic pathogen. So if, for example, the human body is compromised, whether um, uh, the immune system is compromised or the skin, your first line of defense, your barrier is um, compromised, then staph will take advantage of that and establish an infection. And in this case, it's harmful. Very interesting. So, so you earlier you mentioned something about how uh, there's a fatty or a lipid component of our skin which normally acts to prevent the infection of the staph infection. Correct. Uh, obviously, sometimes this uh, fatty component doesn't hold up and uh, yes. the staph infection takes hold. Can you explain a little bit more about how that might uh, occur? Yes. Yeah, so, so this is actually the entire um, focus of my research. Oh, fantastic. How can staph aureus uh, bypass <laughs> that lipid? So um, actually, um, I characterized an afflux pump. So what do I mean by a pump? It's essentially a transporter that will take the fat that you give to the cells and it pumps it outside and as if the bacteria didn't even encounter anything on your skin. Hmm. And that enables the staph to grow um, in the presence of these fatty acids and cause an, an infection, establish an infection. Interesting. So, so the staph uh, Staphylococcus has developed a way or it has adapted to the body's natural ability to defend itself. Correct. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying staph is kind of normal. It's sort of natural. It exists um, just in our environment and on our skin even. Uh, and normally doesn't do us any harm. But sometimes when the opportunity arrives, it can um, produce an infection. In a way, is, is that, so what I'm picturing is sort of at Western here, we have a lot of geese. And normally they're just <laughs> around. Um, and, you know, they're minding their own business. We're minding our own business. No one's hurting each other. But every once in a while, the, if perhaps presented an opportunity, the geese will sometimes attack people. Is that, is that in a very rough way, something like what happens with the staff? Well, when I say staph is um, common, um, it's 30% of the population. Okay. Um, and also there are multiple kind of strains of staph. So for example, there's a staph epidermidis. So as the name implies, it lives on your epidermis. Um, so that is a much less virulent and much less problematic mm -hmm. than staph aureus. Staph aureus that I study is more um, virulent in that it causes serious it can cause serious infections mm -hmm. so generally it can cause something like minor skin infection that can be treated easily but also it can cause severe infections such as infection of the blood or sepsis or osteomyelitis or endocarditis um, and in that case it is a lot harder to treat uh, than uh, the minor skin infection Okay, well, those mm. sound terrifying. <laughs> yes. does, does this sort of come down to where the bacteria sort of finds itself? Like, is, is it normally that it can't penetrate your skin or sort of your, your natural outer defenses? And is it only when it sort of finds itself in a place it's not supposed to be that it starts to cause these serious problems? Well, it depends. So in every condition, uh, so for example, on your skin, soft tissue infections, if there is any breach to your skin barrier, and the bacteria happens to be there, it can establish an infection. Whereas in other cases, for example, like um, uh, on medical devices, um, which is a more problematic situation in hospitals, mm -hmm. if a staff or if a medical device 
comes in contact with staff, then staff um, establishes itself there, um, but in a much more severe form of infection. Mm -hmm. So um, we call it a biofilm. It's essentially layers and layers of bacteria that establish on that medical device, and they're really hard to treat, um, especially with antibiotics. They're really hard to penetrate. Now, you've mentioned a few times that there's roughly 30% of the population that uh, naturally has uh, the Staphylococcus aureus uh, on their skin or it's present on them at any given time. I'm curious if there's uh, anything that predisposes these individuals uh, that the staff wants to be on them as opposed to the other 70% of the population. And would this 30% of the population be thus more uh, predisposed to staph infections or would they perhaps uh, develop... Uh, some kind of tolerance or ability to fight off the infection and thus be carriers uh, for the rest of the population? Um, so to my knowledge, there isn't really a set of kind of conditions that predispose you to a staph infection. You can pick it up anywhere. Mm -hmm. But what's, what's interesting is um, studies have shown that if you are a natural carrier and you become infected with a staph, then the strain that is causing that infection is the same strain that you naturally carry. So as if it disseminates from one site of the body to another. Hmm. Yeah. So it's almost as if the site of the body that the staff normally resides in, that site is typically resistant to that staff. But if the staff ends up migrating to another part of the body, that's when it becomes more dangerous if it uh, if the opportunity presents itself if the opportunity presents itself then yeah it takes advantage of whatever situation it can find um, especially if the defenses the human defenses are breached and then it establishes an infection um, so yeah so a cut or a wound Yes, yeah. yeah. Or some sort uh, of medical operation. Oh, yeah, yeah. that is that is um, a problem, especially in hospitals. Yeah, any open, um, exposed um, uh, skin or, um, yeah, inside the body, and it comes in contact with the staff, then staff is excellent at establishing itself hmm. anywhere. Yeah. I'm curious, we have a, a f human beings have a few naturally open orifices always on our bodies, such as the eyes, the, the nose, the ears, right? Yeah. Uh, is there uh, something specific about uh, these organs that staff is not able to penetrate these areas? Or Well, staff also has some nutritional requirements. So, uh, for example, in your nose, the requirement there uh, or the, the resources available there allows the bacteria to... Um, uh, reside in there, um, whereas other areas they, they lack, uh, whether it's like the moisture or uh, the pH conditions or whatnot. Sure, so for example, um, um, one thing that we're also trying to understand in our lab is um, the pH of the skin. So mm. uh, your skin is a little bit acidic. Uh, so we're also trying to understand then if it's acidic, it can be harsh for bacteria, yet staph grows. So um, we're trying to understand that aspect of staph um, growth as well. Very, yeah. very cool. So would you consider staph to be like a particularly resilient um, type of bacteria? I would expect to, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've heard um, in the news, especially, you know, some years ago, this, um, this sort of terrifying acronym called MRSA. Yes. Um, and I understand it has something to do with Staphylococcus aureus, um, the bacteria you study. Can you tell me a little more about that? Okay, so MRSA stands for methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Um, so essentially, um, Staph aureus um, established itself or was a problem in the healthcare settings um, uh, in the 
1960s um, and 70s and whatnot. Uh, more towards the 1990s, it developed resistance to methicillin, um, which is a class of antibiotics. Um, it basically belongs to the beta-lactam uh, class of antibiotics, and staff developed resistance to that. And the scary part, or um, the, the part that you hear in the news, is the community-acquired MRSA, uh, which basically um, it is um, an infection that is not in a health care setting, so you have not been exposed to anything in the healthcare or nursing home or a hospital. Uh, and these strains are uh, very, very virulent, and they can cause the problems. So essentially, the term MRSA just stands for methicillin-resistant um, staph aureus, which is a bacteria that is resistant to um, the beta-lactam class of antibiotics. So does that mean this is sort of an infection that's really difficult to treat? Correct, yes. Okay. So uh, what's great about staph is that it always develops a way mm -hmm. to resist antibiotics. Okay. Um, so no matter what you give it, um, give it some time, and it will develop a technique to bypass that antibiotic and become resistant, which is scary. I mean, a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, is this something that we seriously uh, have to worry about? Is is this like a, a, a looming doomsday scenario? Uh, in my opinion, yes. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes, because um, there is a wide use of antibiotics around, um, not only in the healthcare settings, but also even farmers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in um, some period of time, the excessive use of antibiotics on animals also gave rise to these uh, uh, antibiotic-resistant strains, and that makes them more virulent. So the more antibiotic we use, um, the faster the bacteria will develop resistance to it, and then we have to find an alternative measure to take care of the infection. Okay, but if antibiotics are supposed to kill bacteria, how do they develop resistance to, you know, um, these sort of cures? That's a good question. Um, I work on that a little bit. Um, so mm -hmm. essentially, they develop transporters. Uh, just like what I was saying with the fatty acids or the lipids that I study, there are afflux pumps or transporters pumps, yes. that allow the bacteria to um, pump outside whatever you give it. So um, these afflux pumps will pump anything you want. And what's... Um, What's important about these pumps is that they're multi-drug resistant. So usually a pump, a bacteria will develop a pump that can pump a wide variety of antibiotics, not just one or two, um, which will, makes it more problematic. So sort of by analogy, is, is it kind of like antibiotics and uh, the lipids and all these things, these anti-microbial things, they're sort of like poisons in a way and they have to work they have to be inside the bacteria and yes. what the bacteria is do, doing is getting rid of them before they can have um, the effect to kill correct so um to give you a little example so i said i work with fatty acids so mm -hmm. essentially when fatty acid gets in the cell if they're allowed to get into the cell so um they will get in the membrane of the bacteria and then the more fatty acids which is in this case is the antimicrobial that we're talking about more you give it to the bacteria, the, the membrane of the bacteria becomes very leaky and cell bursts and dies. Wow. So that is why it's very advantageous for the bacteria to develop these pumps. So it will pump all the fat outside the cell, the fatty acids outside the cell, so they will not get to the point of um, affecting the membrane such as the cell burst and die. Yeah. yeah. So 
Okay, well, so going back to this doomsday scenario, <laughs> are you are you saying that if we do get an MRSA infection, that that's basically the end? No. Is no. there any way to, to treat? Yes, of course. Um, okay. Of course. So there are, um, currently there are um, antibiotics that are effective against MRSA infections. Mm-hmm. Um, most soft, and, uh, soft tissue infections, um, they're on the skin. They're treatable. Um, of course, you have to stick to the antibiotics you're giving. Um, do not miss a dose or whatnot. Uh, but also, um, the MRSA becomes scary if it's um, in a more um, severe infection. So let's say, for example, infection of the blood. Mm -hmm. That is very difficult to treat as opposed to a skin infection um, that can be targeted uh, with um, antibiotics right away. So it depends on the infection. If you have a minor infection, then you should be scared. But um, if you have a more severe infection, especially in the healthcare setting, um, let's say after a surgery or on a medical device and whatnot, then um, it's just scary. So does your research relate to, or more particularly, is there a portion of the population that might be more susceptible to getting uh, some kind of sepsis infection where the staph actually reaches the bloodstream? so, in, in like generally speaking, um, any time your body or the immune system is compromised, staff can take um, advantage of that. Um, so, if you are um, asking about if a certain population um, are more susceptible to getting blood infections, uh, then um, especially um, there's a problem among the um, intravenous drug users. So, um, the um, improper use of um, injections and infected non-clean um, injections Definitely. can um, can give rise to severe blood infections. And, I, and I'm assuming that that's because uh, when the needle or the object um, touches or breaches the skin of one individual, that carries the staff onto the next person and this, the strains of staff may be different between those two people. Yeah, so any un- non-clean um, uh, needle, let's say, or um, that has been used, or if someone already has a, a blood infection or a staph infection, it can be easily transmitted through needles to the blood of the next individual. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it is a problem that way, yeah. So I guess logically following uh, this line of questioning, would you have any uh, advice uh, to, to any of our listeners as to how they can uh, prevent staph infections themselves? or to Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Well, that <laughs> and um, proper use of, of any um, needles or anything used. Uh, make sure everything is properly sanitated, like the proper sanitation, properly cleaned um, and all that. As, as same as for the healthcare settings, when doctors do operations and whatnot, everything must be controlled, everything must be uh, sanitized um, to prevent um, infections and to prevent introducing stuff to an area where it shouldn't be. For sure. Yeah. We, we hear a lot about washing our hands often. Yes. Yes. Is that another way to prevent infection? Um, yes, general stuff is not going to grow on your hand. Uh, but, of course, a proper sanitation in, in, in any setting, really, um, is beneficial. Yeah. Well, speaking of settings, how about in the lab setting? Yes. So for those of uh, you out there in GradCast land, Heba, can you tell us a little bit about how you study uh, Staphylococcus aureus. What is what is a day in the life of you as a microbiology and immunology graduate student sort of look like? Okay, so the number one thing in the lab is 
um, protective wear. Okay. So um, we have to wear a lab coat 24-7. Anytime you are um, on your bench or about to handle um, staff um, culture, um, you should be wearing a lab coat. Gloves are absolutely a must 100%. Uh, protective eyewear, goggles, um, just to prevent any spills, um, anything, especially the lab, things can happen. You can break glassware, you can uh, spill a, a grown culture, um, and that can be a problem, especially if you have an open wound or an open cut of any sort. Um, so protection is number one. Um, a day in what I do in a day, um, essentially, um, I do a lot of kind of growth analyses on the bacteria um, while wearing all that protective wear right, that we're talking of course, about, so. of course, um, uh, kind of uh, look at the growth of the bacteria, give it different conditions, mimic the conditions of a human skin and see how staff behaves. Um, and also I manipulate um, staff at the genetic level a lot in order to understand if you have this afflux pump, what happens? If you don't have the afflux pump, what happens and whatnot? So um, that is basically um, what I do in terms of um, research. Um, I also have, um, uh, we have in our program what's called um, the honors thesis students. So essentially in the fourth year of our program, uh, students are given the opportunity to do a mini project um, in our labs. Um, so essentially it's an, an eight month long project, um, a little thesis at the end, um, that will expose the student to their research life. Um, so if they're interested, they can continue on with their master's degree. Um, so essentially, um, every year we get a student um, and um, I um, supervise them. I kind of, we sit there and have a little plan for a little project that they can do throughout the year. Um, and kind of help them uh, through it, um, teach them the techniques in the lab, um, and teach them how things can be done, and why, of course, they are doing it. Wow, that must be fantastic uh, teaching, mentorship experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. Congratulations, Thanks. and I'm sure your students are very happy to have uh, a mentor such as you. Uh, I think they them. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, now, I just want to touch on, what you're talking about more about your research and how Correct. you actually care for the staph aureus and the bacteria themselves, just mm -hmm. while we have some time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming that uh, you keep them in a Petri dish or in some sort of, uh, in the dark, allowing the bacteria to grow and culture. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes. So, um, essentially, uh, we grow our bacteria on petri dishes at 37 degrees Celsius. So we have incubators um, that they're uh, regulated 24-7. Uh, and um, essentially, I leave staff overnight um, in there. And in the morning, staff will be happy and healthy and yellowy. <laughs> staff is yellow. So yellow is good. Yellow, yellow is, is a good, good sign, thing. yes. <laughs> yes. Very interesting. Is there any challenges or any particular um, uh, joys that you have from caring for your uh, bacteria? Um, well, challenges <laughs> is a good a good way to start. So, um, as I mentioned, I manipulate the the staff or the bacteria at a genetic level That's a right. lot. Yeah. So um, it's always kind of an exciting thing to come the next day and see um, what I did. Did that allow it to grow or not? Because sometimes uh, there are some few genes that you kind of mess with. Um, staff sure. does not like that. Um, so. <laughs> So um, always I have um, this kind of excitement in the morning where I go check on the bacteria if they grow uh, or not. And usually it's a good sign if they grow. <laughs> that means I can continue with my experiments. And it's a good day after that. Yes, so. absolutely. <laughs> yes. So yeah. like in a way, you're trying to figure out what keeps 
staff alive. You're manipulating little bits of like its genetic expression. Are you also sort of throwing antibiotics and um, you know these antimicrobial lipids and stuff at them yes. to figure out what combination sort of kills them or keeps them alive? Absolutely. So I do. Um uh, incubate them with a lot of fatty acids uh, just to see what concentration they grow best at, what concentration is um, harmful, uh, what is in between really, um, and yeah, kind of try to mimic the conditions that you would find on normal human skin um, and look at how staff um, deals with that. Okay, great. So we're coming near to the end of our time here today, just like you're coming near to the end of your degree. Yes. Do you have any plans? Uh, what do you hope to do after you're finished, after you, of course, successfully defend? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, um, right now I am looking at different opportunities, different right? avenues. Um, uh, I'm focused on um, kind of searching what postdoctoral uh, fellowship opportunities out there, um, especially in the staff field. Okay, um, yeah. I would ideally like to stay in the staff field. Um, and also I am looking into in the industry as well, especially the industry of uh, medical devices and whatnot that staff um, infection is a problem for, yeah. Okay, so you would like to stay in the sort of research role related to microbiology and, and infectious sort of diseases. Absolutely. Ideally, yeah, that's what I, I'd hope for at least, yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great. Um, if people were interested in following along with some of the work that you do, uh, and some of the research that you do, is there somewhere uh, on social media or online they can find you or connect with you? Yeah, of course. Um, so we have a lab website, um, as well as a lab Twitter account, um, as well as I have my own. Um, so our lab Twitter account is McGavin Lab, um, and uh, I have my own also um, uh, Twitter account um, as well. Um, and you can also... Um, look online for our papers as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, excellent. We'll have that information posted when this podcast goes live. Thank you very much, Eva, for joining us today. Thank you very much for sharing your research with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. My name is Yemin Chen. I'm here with uh, Roger Hudson. Thank you, Heba. Thank you. And we've been talking with Heba. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you next time. Oh, but before we do, if you would like to get in touch uh, with GradCast, if you'd like to come on the air and share your work with us, or if you would like uh, to join our committee and see what life is like behind the microphone every week, you can contact us at GradCast Radio dot uh sorry at gmail.com you can also visit us online at our website gradcast.ca and of course subscribe to our podcast on itunes google play or wherever you get quality podcasts on the internet I've got